Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Jenny Colapitro, PwC's Vice Chair for Health Industries, working across pharmaceuticals, medtech, payers, and providers. And I'm Igor Belakronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations around the country with their strategies and operating models. Today, our topic is maternal health. And Jenny and I are here with a very special guest. We're here with Anu Sharma, who's a founder and CEO of Millie, and also an alumna of our firm. So welcome, Anu. Thank you. It's really great to be here with you both, Jenny and Igor. Thanks for having me. Anu, we've really been waiting and looking forward to your appearance because this is such a critical topic. In fact, when we look at the research out there, it looks like compared to other rich, well-developed countries, the United States is actually lagging in this space in terms of the outcomes for mothers and children. And so very excited to have you trying to help address this issue and bring some new thinking to this space. And you're an accomplished healthcare executive. Would love to first hear, how did you decide to get involved in maternity care? Why this choice from the business perspective, from the personal perspective? Tell us more about where did this come from? Yeah, that's a great place to get started. It was an exercise in my personal and professional lives colliding. Before I started Millie, I had spent 15 odd years working in health innovation in various capacities. I started in the world of management consulting, as you've noted, and had worked with some of the largest health plans and health systems in the country, doing a variety of things. And I knew the industry deeply from that perspective. And then I subsequently went into a different role where I got to do a lot of care model innovation focused on improving cost and outcomes in different parts of healthcare. I kind of had that background when I was going through my own pregnancy journey that involved six rounds of failed fertility treatments before I became naturally pregnant with my daughter. And I thought I was done with the hard part. But like many women, I then sort of encountered the reality of maternity care in America, which boils down to a rather unsupported patient experience and sometimes poor outcomes, but almost always high costs. In my case, I had developed gestational hypertension around 38 weeks and had to be induced about 10 days before my due date. Once I was admitted to the hospital, I went through two and a half days of labor and eventually an unplanned C-section where I almost hemorrhaged. I spent three or four days recovering from all that and was discharged home and had the standard instructions most women have, which is to come back at the six-week point for my postpartum visit. But I ended up coming back into the ER 36 hours later having self-diagnosed myself with postpartum preeclampsia. And when I showed up, I was on the verge of a stroke. I was holding my five-day-old baby in my arms and my blood pressure was in the 190s. And it's, in hindsight, one of those things where you realize after the fact what had happened, but basically I had saved my own life in that moment. And it was because I come from a family of physicians and I worked in healthcare long enough and I knew enough to be able to recognize some concerning symptoms, knew that I needed help and I was able to get it in a timely way. But it can happen a lot of times where you are in a vulnerable place, where you just brought a baby home, you're sleep deprived, you can't quite tell whether what you're experiencing is normal or not. And it can often result in poor outcomes because no one's really actively checking on you. And it depends on your ability to go and ask for help. I learned afterwards that my experience was not an isolated one. We have very high rates of maternal mortality in the U.S. It's the highest of any high-income country. In addition to that, we have 50,000 near misses 
I was one of them. And what's kind of striking is that 30% of maternal deaths happen during pregnancy and 52% happen in the first year of a baby's life, which shockingly makes childbirth the safest part of the entire journey. And there's lots and lots of studies that show that 60% of maternal deaths are preventable with timely care. Beyond just maternal mortality and morbidity statistics, the other thing we see in the U.S. maternal care system is high rates of C-sections. These have been coming down, but are still twice where they should be relative to guidelines. We also have high rates of preterm births and NICU stays and high rates of perinatal anxiety and depression. And Black mothers are particularly vulnerable in our system, and they consistently experience three to four times worse outcomes compared to their white counterparts. And so I would say... We have a broken care model around maternal health in the U.S., and we certainly can do better. Anu, thank you for sharing your personal experience. Clearly, your purpose and passion for this is very clear. And as a mom myself, having navigated the maternal health care system, I can empathize with what you've shared. And you're right. I think your experience is not an isolated one. So, Anu, in your experience, what are the problems that you see with the current health system? There's actually several gaps in the current system, and some of them are not unique to maternal health. I think some of them just relate more broadly to the healthcare system around access and racial biases. But specific to maternal care, I think there's a few things I would highlight in terms of just gaps in the care model that we have just based on how our system is currently designed. The first is that we have a reactive approach to how we care for women through pregnancy and postpartum. Our current system is designed around 13 visits. These tend to be 15, 20 minutes long. 12 of them usually happen prenatally, and one happens at the six-week point postpartum. There's been some push on part of ACOG to try to get to two visits postpartum, and that's sort of percolating through the system somewhat slowly, but is not a requirement still. And between visits where they can be several week-long gaps, we don't really do much by way of proactive monitoring, which leaves it to mothers to identify risks that they might be experiencing. And when things are going fine, that's not necessarily a problem. But when complications do arise, and they do, it is very much a hit or miss type of an experience around getting the care that you need. And this is particularly true in the postpartum period where there is particularly elevated risk in the first six weeks or so postpartum, both to the mom and baby. And women are just overwhelmed at that point, dealing with newborn care demands, settling into their new life, dealing with their own recovery. They don't always know what's normal and what's not. And that can create some real issues. And so a reactive approach where women are left to kind of identify the risks and advocate for care and help when needed is, I think, a big flaw in the design of the system itself. The other issue I would highlight is that we do have a bit of an over-medicalized system. It's true that 80 plus percent of pregnancies are low to moderate risk. And in many countries around the world, and I would include Canada, the UK, France, elsewhere, we see that the vast majority of care, 60-70% of the care, is really provided by midwives who treat pregnancy as a natural physiological event, which sometimes can require medical attention. Here in the U.S., our dominant model is medical-led, which means that the vast majority of care is provided through OBGYNs, who are the primary care provider. And we have a relatively small workforce of midwives. And what that kind of does is really one kind of add to the cost of care that's been widely studied, but it also creates the propensity for a higher level of intervention. 
And that is something we are starting to pay more attention to as we think about cost and outcomes in the system, especially in the light of fairly acute OBGYN shortages. And so one of the areas where there's been a lot of attention is really thinking about expanding the use of midwives and doulas alongside OBGYNs in how we deliver maternity care. A third area I would highlight is just how incomplete our care model is. For women that have been through the system, what you really experience is fairly narrow clinical care, really geared towards doing clinical checks in the visits that do happen. And there's not much by way of information, emotional support, supplementary care, such as lactation, pelvic floor therapy, and so on. That's just kind of built into our default model, which really leaves it to women to discover what their needs are and go piece these things together, which is not a great care experience, but also just creates gaps in care because you've got women getting somewhat one-dimensional support going through what is a very transformative experience for them at every level. We also tend to see high rates of anxiety and depression as a result because we really do have mothers really taking this hard journey without a whole lot of support. So I would certainly say that we have a model which provides one-dimensional clinical care in a somewhat over-medicalized way with a reactive approach. And we can certainly use more by way of care model innovation and experience redesign as we build for the future of maternity care in America. Anu, you're painting a pretty bleak picture, uh, reactive, over-medicalized, incomplete. Do you see any reasons for hope? Are there any good developments that are happening in this space? Yes. I think we're at a great moment in time for maternity care in America. And we're seeing some pretty profound shifts that are coming together in a very singular moment. There are some cultural factors. There are policy shifts that are being catalyzed by those factors. There are payment reforms. And we're also just kind of seeing a new generation of American mothers who really just are kind of wanting and expecting better care. And the system is responding. On the cultural side, we have seen a real sort of focus through the voices of Black mothers who are shining a light on the racial disparities in the system and the outcomes that they experience and really creating a powerful push towards policy change. And we're seeing a lot of Medicaid activity in response to that. And I'll speak to that in a moment. It's also really heartening that mothers of color, such as Serena Williams, have lent their voices sharing their own stories around pregnancy complications to lift these voices into the cultural mainstream. On the Medicaid side, it's something that, you know, a lot of people don't know, but 40% or more of births are paid for in America by Medicaid, which actually makes Medicaid the largest peer for maternal health in the country. And a large percentage of those births do occur to women of color, particularly Black mothers. There has been a lot of response that we have seen state by state around policy actions that are designed towards expanding prenatal education, removing incentives that contribute to high rates of C-sections when they're not necessary, expanding access for coverage for mothers beyond 60 days into really the first year of the baby's life, covering doulas through insurance dollars, and more generally expanding the perinatal workforce, especially midwives, all of which are really designed to improve the overall access and coverage around maternal health for Medicaid populations. We're also seeing Medicaid pushes towards coverage for birth centers 
something we are probably likely to see more often in America as time goes on. These are lower cost settings versus traditional hospitals that can be expensive to locate in rural communities where healthcare gaps just exist. And they really provide safe birthing sites in these underserved communities and a way for women to access care during this time. And so I think that's wonderful, and I really do hope that we see more of it as it makes its way through the legislative process, because I think it can make a real difference, and I think the commercial plans will follow. On the commercial side, we're seeing a lot by way of payment reform. Pretty much every commercial payer at this point has introduced bundle payments, which essentially provide a flat fee for the care episode versus the traditional fee-for-service model, which certainly created incentives around over-medicalization through more procedures. So that's a good thing. And this amount, interestingly, is considerably smaller than what used to be the case under the fee-for-service model. And that's catalyzing two things. One, we're starting to see health systems really think about creating a different care mix, both in terms of the care providers as well as the setting of care to further take us in the direction of a less medicalized approach. You know, so we're starting to see outpatient birth suites, which are staffed by midwives with the access to the broader NICU facilities and anything that may be required in terms of acute care on the L&D floor, but not necessarily what we've had in the past, a one-size-fits-all approach where everything was treated in a very similar way with higher cost and the propensity for more intervention. So that's a good thing as well. And then lastly, it's really interesting to kind of see there's a new generation of women, 80% of births are to millennial mothers, and they have very different expectations around maternity care. For a start, they favor holistic care that does pay attention to their wellness and mental health as they move through pregnancy. They have a real desire to be active participants in their own care choices with more agency. They seek to be better informed. And we've seen a lot of telemedicine adoption across the U.S. in every care setting. And we're going to see that in maternal health as well. And so I think the rise of digital physical models in maternal health, which were something we saw out of necessity in COVID, are here to stay, which really do improve the experience of care for women. So I think all of these are really wonderful things because they contribute to what I'd sort of mentioned earlier, the need for care redesign, both from an experience perspective as well as from a care model perspective. And all of these shifts are very consistent with that. That's really tremendous, this special moment. And that brings us all the way back to you and to Millie, your startup. So tell us, how do you plan to be part of the solution during this important moment? So Millie is very much, I would say, a company that is focused on building the kind of maternity care experience I would have wanted and that I know many women want. And so as it'll come as no surprise, there's a lot going on in maternal health. There are a lot of startups in the space, but for the most part, they've been consumer apps that are focused on at some level kind of papering over the cracks in our current system to improve the experience for mothers through some combination of education, pure community and on-demand supplemental care in a more unified experience that sits outside of their care, but is still available to them to supplement it. We've also seen a variety of platform plays that are focused on progressive employers that kind of take some of the same concepts that we're seeing in the consumer apps, but package them for progressive employers who want to really offer a next generation benefit to their working families with an eye towards retention and productivity. And there are some things that are going on on the health system side in terms of platforms that are really helping them try to make the shift to value-based care. And all of those, I think, are wonderful. But 
I don't think they address the core piece of the problem here, which is trying to create a real end-to-end experience of the kind that mothers really want, not something which sort of sits outside of their care experience, not something that will take time to be adopted in the system and eventually made available to users, but just really something that they can experience firsthand if they want progressive care. And Millie is that. We are, I would say, redesigning maternity care from the ground up with a tech-enabled clinic model, which is centered on the idea of collaborative OB midwifery care. We bring together the best of both disciplines alongside 21st century care experience in the form of a care platform that is designed for continuous monitoring through pregnancy and through the first year of the baby's life along with making proactive education, peer support, and on-demand supplementary care available in one unified experience that sits right there alongside your clinical care and powers the whole journey from start to finish without women looking for pieces to pull together from the tools that are now becoming more available. We're also designed for both commercial and Medicaid populations. And We really view that as being important because we don't believe great maternity care should be for people who can afford to pay extra for apps or who have the ability to work for employers who are providing progressive benefits. We feel this should be the standard of care for any maternity care provider and a patient going through that experience, regardless of what their insurance status is. So that's really what Millie is all about. I would really say, in a nutshell, we are building the future of what we believe maternity care should look like. And our goal here is to demonstrate it through our own clinics and then to scale it in collaboration with peers and health systems more broadly. And we've seen a lot of excitement around that. Health plans love the idea of a care model which is fundamentally designed around a low intervention philosophy and that is really designed for proactive monitoring of risks throughout the care episode. That's something that's very consistent with our desire to lower the cost of care and improve outcomes as we make the shift towards value-based care in, in the maternity area. And health systems really like the idea of collaborating with Millie because it allows them to reach the next generation of patients by letting us provide a great prenatal and postpartum care experience while they can do what they do best, which is labor and delivery in a more advanced care in their care environments. It allows them to not only think about the future of the service line, but it also allows them to free up their own resources internally to focus on things that they're really good at in terms of gynecologic procedures and other things, which otherwise they sort of have to make room for while providing maternity care through the model in the past, which no longer is consistent with where reimbursement has gone and their cost structures. And so it's really fun to be building something that would have been something we wanted to have as women and patients, but it's also fun to do that in a way that feels very much like the culmination of my personal journey and professional work to date. Wow, that sounds very exciting. Looking forward to hearing more. I know you mentioned earlier that Black mothers are particularly vulnerable and that their maternal experience and outcomes are worse. And in fact, according to a recent report from the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, Black women in the U.S. are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related complications than white women. Can you expand a little bit more about the inequities and disparities in care that exist today? 
Yeah, this is such a big topic, and I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all solution here. We certainly know of and have heard about the experience of care that Black mothers have in our current healthcare system, not necessarily unique to maternity, but certainly in maternity as well, where they're often being cared for by providers who don't really understand their lived experiences and are not in a position to provide culturally competent care. And I think that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is oftentimes Black mothers are living in communities that don't necessarily have great access and really reaching care to those communities is another piece of what we need to solve for, which some of the Medicaid-oriented reforms are trying to do. But there's also a lot to be said for the broader aspects that we have come to see, which is just around access to nutrition and being able to manage some of the other health risks and comorbidities, et cetera, that are not necessarily unique only to Black mothers, but certainly do make their experience a little bit harder around getting good pregnancy care as well. And so it's very much an exercise in how do we reach high quality care to them? How do we hear their voices as they go through this experience? How do we care for them in ways that are more complete and comprehensive, knowing some of the risks that they may have that are disproportionate to other populations? And how do we really provide culturally competent care through this experience and really sort of set them up in a way that they can feel well-supported and well-cared for, not just through pregnancy, but also postpartum and beyond. So there's not a great solution here, but it really does come down to trying to solve for the broader set of social determinants in health that does affect Black mothers alongside all the risks that they do experience in pregnancy and some of the racial inequities and challenges they experience getting care in our current system. I know... This conversation about maternal health is particularly relevant as we analyze the potential impact of the recent Supreme Court decision on maternal health and availability and access to care. And while we don't yet know what the full impact will be, we can perhaps look to the past to see what it might be. And what we know from the past is that health organizations that had internal restrictions on the kinds of services they could provide, in particular around terminating a pregnancy, that caused them to generally stay out of women and children's services or maternal health services just to be safe, just to not be in a position to provide the services they don't want to provide. And so in the past, when some of these restrictions have been imposed, it overall reduced access to maternal health in certain neighborhoods and certain communities. So I'm curious as to your thoughts on what will happen in the future, given this recent Supreme Court judgment. Thanks, Igor. Yes, you're absolutely right. And as a progressive women's health care provider, I think these issues are very top of mind for us. The way that we see it is the most recent ruling from the Supreme Court has limited access to abortion care in states where there was already fairly limited Medicaid expansion. And these are states that also have provider shortages, especially for women's health. The birthing families in these states are disproportionately lower income. And what's happened as a result of this ruling is that they have begun to see an even greater limitation on the access to care that was already previously available. So there are kind of, I think, implications from a health equity perspective that have been created as a result of that. 
Further, when we think about abortion care in the context of maternal health, we can't really separate it from maternity care because you find yourself in situations where someone may be experiencing a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy or complications of pregnancy that create health concerns for the mother or the child. And all of these are decisions that ultimately have to be taken on an individual basis between the patient and their care provider. Further, if you really think about it from the lens through which care providers think about it, even a low-risk pregnancy that results in a birth may actually be more risky than a termination of pregnancy, especially in a situation where it's either not a well-timed pregnancy or it's not a wanted pregnancy. And there are going to be implications for both the mother and the baby. And so there are questions around maternal health outcomes and infant health outcomes that really arise in the context of limitations in abortion care that you cannot separate from the broader conversation around the state of maternal health in the U.S. And I think there is sort of a broader question that I think all of this kind of sets up around what is the future of women's rights, reproductive justice, and paths to parenthood for families that don't necessarily have natural means of conceiving children. So I think there is a lot of questions here from the standpoint of a care provider that have yet to play out. And I think from a Millie standpoint, we are very much in agreement with ACOG's position that these are decisions best left to patients and their care providers. Having the courts involved sets up inadvertent consequences that already worsen the state of maternal health. Great. Well, Anu, thank you for sharing your personal experience and perspectives. This has been wonderful, and I look forward to seeing the change and impact that Millie can make on improving maternal care in America. And as you said, setting a new standard of care by driving model innovation and redesigning the experience for all. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It was fun to be here. Anu, thank you and good luck. Thank you. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.